Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. Good evening and welcome. It's six o'clock on the 25th of August. You're listening to Wisdom the Costa and Politically Correct. And joining me today, I have James Bagley. Today we're going to be talking about Afghanistan and also uh, some bad behaviour at a town council planning meeting. Who'd have thought? Welcome, James. How are you? Good, thank you. How about you? How about yourself? I'm very well, thank you. Right, so today we're going to be talking about Afghanistan. As I said, the refugees coming in into the UK and into RBWM. We'll be talking about some bad behaviour, I understand, at a planning panel meeting. Who would have thought from councillors, right? I know, who would have thought from councillors? Yeah. <laughs> Especially well, in Berkshire. I know. Well, is it just Berkshire, I wonder? You know, sometimes I do wonder, you know, are we alone? You know? No, trust me, I don't think you are. <laughs> okay. But we're going to start the show with, um, with issues about um, the job retention scenes. So the COVID job retention scheme, commonly called furlough, which um, which was announced back in March 2020, but it's coming to an end in just a month or so's time. And so really just asking, how is that going to affect people locally? Now, did you know that since the start of the job retention scheme, that a cumulative total of 11.6 million jobs have been supported by, let's call it furlough rather than a coronavirus job retention scheme, because that would take half the show to just keep saying it. So this is 11... Point six million pounds. Uh, sorry, people claims jobs who have been who've been um, supported by by furlough. And of course, the reason that furlough was introduced was during the start of the pandemic. They had to lock us all down, and, and they had to sort of keep us all away from from work and in our houses. And the only way they thought they could do that, which was right at the time, was to to say, well, first you go in, but then in, you need to eat. So let's uh, rather than employers making you redundant, let's actually support support individuals, employees rather. To through the PAYE scheme, of course, that created lots of other issues for the self-employed and for a certain other characters or groups of people, businesses who were a bit self-employed and a bit working who couldn't get any benefit, and and especially hit. I think the the um, casual sort of market, especially um, the how should I put it, um, broadcasting, entertainment, and that sorts of gig economy. How much do you think James has been is spent every month? in supporting people's wages? Uh, I don't know. I guess uh, in its millions, eh? It's actually in its billions, but, you know, not far off. Um, Actually, the peak claim for a month was um, £4 billion for one month in terms of supporting the, you know, wages and salaries. Currently, it's it's running at about £2 billion a month, but a total of £67 billion has been spent and pretty wisely spent on supporting people's um, benefits or rather their jobs and their salaries through COVID. Although some of them probably would have had a reduction in, in, in income as well. Listen, have you been affected by COVID financially? And have your income levels dropped? What have you done to make ends meet? How have you paid your bills and put food on the table? Email us, studio at river.radio. Now, what we're going to catch up with is, is somebody who's actually involved with frontline support of the services so when you think of it of who's going to be supporting people who are suffering well obviously the first thought is the nhs but then you've got the local authorities who can help perhaps with housing 
for people who who are actually at, at the final end. And then in the middle, you've got this this group of charities, uh, the Food Share, um, these places like the West Windsor Hub, Baby Bank, and a few other things in Windsor, which obviously replicated all across the all across the Thames Valley. Who are that first port of call for people who have not got any money or need help with food? So earlier on today, I caught up with um, mm-hmm. Councillor Carol De Costa, who's the chair of the COVID response charity, the West Windsor Hub, to find out what she has seen in Windsor. What are expectations for the rest of the year? Costa, thank you very much for appearing on the show and welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. So tell us more about the hub. Okay, the West Windsor Hub was launched in March 2019 now, literally on the first day of pandemic lockdown. And it was started as a response to COVID to support people that were unable to get out and do their own shopping and access the things that they needed. So initially, we started off with giving out bags of food because the shops were literally ramsacked. You couldn't buy the essentials. We have quite a good working relationship with the manager in Tesco's in Deadworth. And he he very generously made sure that we had the basics. So we had, I think it was initially, we had 100 bags of basic food that people would need, including toilet paper, which was like gold dust at the time. And uh, we gave that out to people that were shielding and had no family that could go out and shop for them. At the same time, the government was sorting out the shielding government food boxes, but that hadn't been implemented. So we were just helping people get the absolute basic we just evolved from from just these bags to start with and then within about two weeks we had call service so people could phone in and we had call takers that were working remotely at home so they could still shield and they would take the phone calls and then uh, we had somebody eventually develop a cloud-based task I guess it was like a, a IT task it's a task management system wasn't it Yes, that's right. So we could then put the tasks onto a smartphone or on a computer and we could pick them up wherever we were, which was really, really useful. And it meant that we could track that tasks were being completed and we could see who had taken on those tasks. Initially, we only had two members working physically in the hub at a time and then shoppers would come in and drop off uh, the shopping and then we would allocate it out to somebody else to do deliveries and things. So and we really, really worked hard to keep everybody safe. I'm really, really proud of the fact that we did not get one single person catch COVID via the hub. And when we look at some of the outbreaks that took place, I'm really proud of the fact that we kept our volunteers and our clients safe. That is incredible. So how did you see the need evolve? So initially, it was just the case of providing a shopping service, a prescription service, and a phone friendship service to people who are in self-isolation, people who could afford to pay for their shopping. What happened next? So once furlough hit and we had people losing their jobs and people becoming less job secure, we found we were being approached for needs that were more financially based so we had I think the first person that turned up and said that she'd been made redundant and was crying and she just said we've got no food I don't know what to do so we then started to build up a a food bank so we could 
provide basic foods and feminine products and toiletries to people. How does that work with the existing food banks? We have a, it's called the Food Network. So it's a group of charities that work together to ensure that we can get the, the best help to people in the shortest possible time. So within that group is Food Share, the West Windsor Hub, Baby Bank, the Community Fridge and the Abbey Community Worker coordinates it so we work together to ensure that everybody that we have contact with gets the help they need and that we don't have so there's a lot of need coming through which you will see firsthand how have those stats developed what have you seen happening so as we've seen restrictions be lifted we've seen the need to shop for people reduce greatly so we've just got our particularly vulnerable elderly people now that we shop for or or very, very vulnerable adults that we still continue to do shopping for. And what we've seen is the need for emergency food and access to free food has increased greatly. And I should imagine that will continue to grow as we get the financial hit from, from the pandemic start to really take a a bit of a bite into the community. So what you're foreseeing there is losses of jobs as well as an end of furlough? Even more than that. So furlough ends in September. So it may be that some employers will decide to make people redundant if they don't have the option of the furlough. It may be that um, they can go back work or they get put on a zero hours contract we really don't know what the impact will be but we do know there will be an impact at the end of furlough around about the same time universal credits will will withdraw the additional payment that they've been making throughout covid so the families who previously have had this little extra money will no longer have that so they will find the burden will be greater as well. In addition to all of this, we're seeing the prices of food going up. So even people that are on low income are no longer managing. Tell me more about the universal credit ending. What was the universal credit top up meant? I'm not entirely sure. I think it was made available during COVID. And I think some of it was because people were working from home or not going out so much so they would have to use extra electricity children were being educated at home so they would need to have um, more access to using electricity for uh, virtual learning and virtual working and also if you're not out during the day and you've got your heating on then you're you're paying for extra heating so it I think it was really to cover the additional cost of being at home for longer periods of time. With three different aspects affecting the demand, a number of people who are going to be looking for help or needing help, I should say, how will that affect the West Windsor Hub? Where will you get the funds from? And what do you think that government or councils could or should be doing to help this situation? Okay, so we will make applications to covid grants that are made available from different community groups so there are there's a, there's a group that will give towards 
food so that any food waste doesn't go into landfill it can be used by people that need to have food on their table on that day in addition to that we can make we can make applications for grants that um, are available and i regularly look out for grants that might be appropriate recently with all the great work that's been done around holiday hunger families who have children on free school meals this summer have had additional payments throughout the summer holidays which has been really really helpful for most of those families as well as an additional um, project throughout the the, the month of August where children could access activity and good food and actually the Food Network in Windsor have been involved in providing some of that food for the activities which has been called Fuel in Windsor. I, I personally think that if the extra money that was needed during Covid within the Universal Credit, if that was needed then, I don't see why suddenly it's not needed now. I, I personally think that we just need to perhaps look at the amount that's being paid as with families that are struggling. And I, I don't know the answer to that because the only way those kind of services are paid for are through taxes. And as you're an accountant and you often tell me that taxes pay for services. And so that will maybe be a burden that the whole of the country will have to take on board. I have read recently that there are more more jobs available than there are people applying. So maybe we will just have a whole complete total shift in our thinking and the way that we work. And I don't know all the answers to those things. All I know is that as a support hub, we have to be ready to support families in need or vulnerable people in our community in need so that we can we can be ready to respond as and when that need occurs. Now if people want to help the West Windsor Hub how will they get in contact with you and what sort of help and donations do you need? If people would like to volunteer they can call in on 01753 three four two one one zero and offer their their name and put it forward as a volunteer so that could be anything from delivering food shopping doing some shopping or just sorting out food donations when they come in if uh, we have anybody that would like to donate to us uh, we would take in donations of food, preferably in, in date, because we do get a lot of out-of-date food given to us. So we would rather have in-date food. Tins and long-life foods are best because we can store them and give them out when needed. And if people want to make financial donations, they can also call in to us and we can give them the details to be able to do that. We have a Facebook page as well, which is just the West Windsor Hub. And uh, people can follow us on Facebook and see what we're doing. We have regular updates and activities that we're involved in. Currently, we are getting requests for school uniforms. So if anybody has any of the local Windsor school uniforms that they want to donate, they can do. And anything we don't use, we will pass 
on to baby bank. So it won't go to waste. It will always be used. Councillor Carol DeCosta, Chair of the West Windsor Hub, thank you very much for joining us on Politically Collect on River Radio. Thank you. Bye now. There we go. That was Councillor Carol DeCosta speaking to us earlier on today. We're going to take a break now, but after the break, we'll be back to talk about what um, Councillor DeCosta said. There's some very interesting issues there, which even I didn't know about. So how have you been affected by the triple whammy? That's reducing income, increasing costs and reducing um, reducing universal credit. Email us, studio at river.radio. Now, sadly today, uh, um, or yesterday, as a... Charlie Watts. Charlie Watts died. That, thank you very much, James. So we're, we're going to play a few songs for the rest of today. But I'm sorry, I'm going to start off with um, one of Carol's favourites, Lean On Me by Bill Withers. i 
not Charlie Watts that was Bill Withers lean on me one of Carol's favorite songs and obviously there because the West Windsor Hub is there to for you to to use if you live in Windsor so welcome back to Politically Correct River Radio uh, using to Wisdom DeCosta and joined today by James Bagley we were just been listening to Carol DeCosta talking about about what's happening with the end of furlough and their expectations on on demand for free food for help for sign pointing people uh, in in the next few months, so we're going to talk about that. But don't forget, if you want to listen again, you can listen again. Just go into river.www.river.radio. I can't do who is that Vernon K, which is to do with the double hash sign, but it doesn't really translate on radio, does it? I, I don't watch Vernon K to be honest. <laughs> really? Yeah, it looks like a nice guy, but just as a host, doesn't interest me. Okay, fair enough. So listen again, or you can get the River Radio Politically Correct podcast on Apple Apple Podcasts. James, Carol said a lot of really interesting things, which really caught me out. I didn't realise that there's this triple whammy that's going to be affecting people. It's not just the loss of furlough or the or the number of redundancies, but also potentially and the loss of um, of an element of universal credit as that drops, combined with a general increase in prices due to Brexit, due to an inability for people to get staff. It looks like a very like a vicious circle for people who who are vulnerable financially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. It's not uh, not looking good. Um, I think maybe the, the government maybe have to <laughs> rethink furlough, uh, especially in autumn and winter time, as we're. But saying. why do you think that? Well, because we've been warned from uh, uh, epidemiologists, um, government uh, advisors from Sage, and uh, um, uh, people along those lines that. Mm. Um, we might be heading towards a mini lockdown, not necessarily a big one like we've seen in uh, Christmas time or the first one, where um, you know everything was completely shut. You couldn't do anything. Yeah. Um, but m- merely because of um, we're expecting uh, influenza and COVID cases to come up um, as in, in during the um, autumn and winter, so. Therefore, you might need a mini lockdown that could impact uh, hospitality, air flights and all that. And you may yeah, need to bring we, furlough back. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, we had David Scott on, who was the COVID response officer for the Royal Borough Winds and Maidenhead. And he actually did sort of faintly, in a veiled way, sort of indicate that lockdown might be back. Not necessarily entirely because of COVID, but also because of the another double whammy with um, influenza, which last mm-hmm. year the rates were low. And of course, we're not sure how it's mutated this year. And we have to sort of do that predictive exercise of giving people the influenza vaccine, vaccination if they're, if they're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. By the way, I would recommend you get it because um, I'm not going to... Well, I better not say much more than it's been good for me so far in the last just, few just, years. Just, just get it, honestly. Just get it. <laughs> All right. There you go, Joe. Some forthright advice from James Backley there. 
So the, the, the issue of a potential another lockdown obviously is a concern because um, when you look at the stats for um, in, in, for who's actually been claiming furlough, you, you see that although the, the for number of furlough claims is dropping and, and it's only down to £2 billion a month, £2 billion is still a lot of money. You know, and, and the industries who have seen the highest levels of claims have been the air passenger industry, not surprisingly with, with planes um, being left on tarmacs and actually being um, shipped out, never to be used again. We sadly see the loss of the old lady of the sky, the 747. Travel agency and tour operators, photographic operators, creative arts and entertainment. Uh, we've seen a lot of sort of journalists, um, um, dancers, singers, not, not necessarily Adele, but you know, other forms, you know, other singers, um, what else have we got? Manufacture of wearing apparel. So I think that means raincoats or stuff like that. And reservation service and related activities, which again is probably related to, to the hospitality industry. Household goods, to, um, printing services. Well, I guess you don't need quite so much um, PR and advertising if you're not actually trading too much. Retail sales via, via stalls and market. Yeah, I guess if the market's closed, not much you can do about that. So we've, these have been the major uh, the major sort of claimers of furlough, but interesting that the it's it's been the large employers who seem to be now not claiming so much as they I, I presume go back to work, find new ways of working. So it'd be interesting to see. Well, it's not interesting. It could, it could be quite tragic, and we have to plan very carefully to see how another lockdown will affect industry and, and business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, most definitely, and um, it depends just how big the impact is in terms of the lockdown so if you remember during the roadmap where um there was a limit capacity or or um d- uh, during the second um phasing of the of the lockdown of the roadmap um you know pe- people sitting just sitting outside in restaurants whether it'll just be that level so um it wasn't really like a huge impact on on furlough but you know certainly there, there was an impact um it's just mm. comparing it, I guess, what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I mean, we've heard the story that a lot of people who've come to the UK to work have gone back to their European countries uh, post-Brexit, post-lockdown. And so there seems to be a shortage of, of workers as well, which is sort of, a, a, I suppose, how do, you, how do you narrow the gap between people who are going to be made redundant and these extra jobs which are available because of people who've gone back to, to EU countries. For example, HGV drivers, I understand that, Tesco's and other operators. So we've mentioned Tesco's twice so far today, but there is Waitrose, Sainsbury's, and a lot of other supermarkets out there. Aldi, Little, I hope I've got you all. So, so the fact that they can't actually get supplies to the shops, and we're always already seeing a number of, of problems there. So you've got this um, contradictory forces happening. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I don't know how that's going to work out, but it was interesting that Carol says... To the minister, if you're listening, stop. Don't end the extra support for universal credit. And also take pause. Let us know what's actually going on and, and take time to, to plan it again if you need to. Mm-hmm. What, what were your thoughts about that? Oh, no, I, I agree, yeah, completely. Um, yeah, I do think um, furlough should uh, come back during during those times and um what was the universal credit was it uh, a cut down to 20 pounds was it i don't actually know but what did, she did say that there was a premium which was paid to individuals uh, during um, the lockdown and covid period because mm-hmm. to pay for i presume for extra electricity for working from home for having the kids at home and um maybe even i don't know what, what how, how, how it actually worked out in particular but that's coming to an end very shortly so I'm wondering if local authorities are still um, giving out some. If you if you remember during um, 
lockdowns, um, food vouchers, etc. Um, I'm not too sure if that was part of the scheme. Uh, mm. You might have to correct me, but um, that's something that you know, I can continue, I suppose. Well, well can it? Because I mean, we, most of our local authorities in this area are a little bit short for money, let's, let's put it. What, what was that about Slough? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not just Slough. There are a few others, aren't there? Let's not pick on Slough. And look at, you know, I think the, the apple has fallen a little bit close to home, although um, RBWM are doing a valiant job in and trying to um, transition and, and make sure things are good. But a lot of those funds are going to be coming through from central government, so I'm not aware that central government have um, announced any further funds, which then the local authorities channel out to individuals. Uh, no, they, they haven't. Well, t- to, my line, to my knowledge, they haven't. Um, I think um, that's um, blown a few months back, I believe. Um, I think it was earlier this year or late of last year. I think that was kind of like the last um, council loan, if you, if you will. Yeah. So, so I guess, um, I suppose there's one other thing I want to talk about as an accountant, because my wife called me out there. One of the one of the um, allowances they've got at the moment is this ability to carry back tax losses for an extra two years. Normally, you can only take it back one year, but now they're allowing you to take it back an extra two years. So the impact of that, when you include it with um, things like the super deduction tax allowance, listen, guys, don't turn off. I know we're talking tax and talking tax allowances and businesses, but this does affect you, honestly. And this is, here's the reason. The reason is that actually, all of a sudden, post-COVID, people may take a lot of redundancy costs, make people redundant, restructure their businesses and take that big hit this year. And then because of the new... Um, at extra allowances you can then boost that value of that loss the tax value of that loss cash value to you and then because of the the tax loss uh, breaks which have been introduced temporarily you can carry that and apply it against corporation tax you've already paid and so get a tax refund so that might actually the whole what i'm trying to say is basically that the tax regime the temporary tax regime may actually push businesses to restructure now this year uh, in 2021 and so there may be a, a, another phase of redundancies or people who i think my my friend Kristen forster was on the show a couple of weeks ago he has a great expression not unemployed but underemployed so you are working but you're not getting enough money so it, it, it seems like it's it's tricky times ahead of for us no, absolutely. I think another way is just tax the rich, I guess. <laughs> ah, now Carol did mention that as well. She, she stole my thunder. She really did. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. Tax pays for services. So are people out there willing to pay more tax? You know, email us, studio at river.radio. If you are willing to email, um, pay more tax, where should that tax apply? Should it be corporation tax? Should it be income tax? Should it be voluntary should we actually have a new philanthropy tax? You heard it here on River Radio on the Political Correct Show. What about a new philanthropy tax where people can, if they want to, pay more taxation and perhaps they might get the odd tax break or two, like uh, as, as they give out for VCTs and all, the, all sorts of things like that? What do you think of that? Who should pay the, the tax and should we have a philanthropy tax, for example? I, a voluntary tax. Um, I guess so. Um, um, just in, in my opinion... Um, I think if you're, I don't know, relying on universal credit too much or, um, as you say, under, was it underemployed? Underemployed, yes. yes. It, um, I don't think you should pay a ta- tax at all. Um, I think it should be, as I say, the rich, but uh, I think they don't pay as much as as they do, so I won't name any names or companies. Uh, yeah. But, uh, I, but think, I think that's the way I see it. Yeah. Um, that's just my opinion. Okay, so you shouldn't be on VAT then, where you know, so you have to pay more for the stuff you buy. Mm, no, um, no, I don't think so. No. What about inheritance tax? People who are handing over massive estates, should they? Oh, do people actually pay that though? 
Um, yes, yes, yeah. they do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking, of course. Um, um, yeah, well, well, wasn't Sajid Javid back when he was actually on, um, back when he was a uh, uh, Ch- Chancellor of Checkers? Uh, I think he hinted of removing that, though, didn't he? Um, but that, unfortunately, he resigned, didn't he? Um, yeah, yeah, perfect timing. Yeah, so yeah. I think you, you could have seen that uh, go. Yeah. So what about the idea of a voluntary extra tax or philanthropy tax, if you like, where people can, if they want to, if they've got the money, and um, maybe they can target it at certain areas. I want to pay extra tax, but it's going to the NHS. But would you say VAT is voluntary, though? I mean, you, Well, yes, you have a choice to buy or not buy, yeah. right? You know? Yeah, but if it's something that you need... I think the, uh, with the exception of Jaffa cakes, by the way. Um, Everyone needs a Jaffa cake. <laughs> yeah, well, is it a cake or is it a biscuit? Who can tell, you know? So the point there was that um, some things don't have VAT on at all because they're regarded as essential items and cakes are non-essential and biscuits like Jaffa cakes are essential. Oh, well, it's food, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, not good for you, is it? I don't know. So, so, so should we have a relook then at, um, at then what's regarded as essential, what shouldn't have VAT on... Maybe think about increasing it on cars. I don't know. Well, well, yeah. I, mean, um, I guess so. Um, on on diesel or petrol fuels. Um, yep. um, I don't know if there's any on electric cars. You might have to correct me on that. I, I'm not aware that there is. No, mm. no, no. Okay, so, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting any bias here when I when we're talking about this voluntary tax or philanthropy tax. Am I? Um, uh, you might be getting a few. <laughs> but not, not you by the sound no, of it. No. <laughs> okay. I was really surprised to see that um, in the stats, the hospitality industry wasn't specifically mentioned as as a big claimer of, of the furlough. Mm, that's that's quite interesting indeed. Was it not mentioned at all, did you say? Or? Um, well, let, let's read it through. I'll read you, I'll read you the, the, the categories again. So they, they talked about the 10... More detailed industry groups with the highest rates of jobs on furlough at the 30th of June were passenger air transport, travel agency and tour operators, photographic activities, creative arts and entertainment activities, man- manufacturer, and this is going down in, in order, so we hit 30% now, manufacturer of wearing apparel, other reservation services and related activities, organisations of conventions and trade shows. That, that's one that you, you wouldn't think about, but... No. Yeah, I guess the UK must be an in, a leader in, in many of these aspects. Renting and leasing of personal and household goods. Well, didn't expect that. Printing services activities related, and activities related to printing and retail sales by stores and markets. So, mm. interesting, the hospitality industry is not there. No, I thought it would be with um, hotels closing. I mean, I remember in... Um in Windsor, that, that uh, Harting Carter, if you, I think you know about Wisdom. Yep. I mean, yeah. that closed down because of, of uh, COVID. Oh, well, sorry, went into administration because of um, COVID and gone back straight to Crown State. So I thought that would have been on there as well. <laughs> Hospitality. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay, so we've talked about the problems. And of course, if there is an answer, there are wonderful charities like the Westminster Hub, like Driven Forward, like Baby Bank, like the Food Share and, and other food banks, which are right near to you. So if you need help, uh, please reach out to them. And if they can't help directly, then I'm sure they'll be able to signpost you in the right direction. Don't be afraid or ashamed of reaching out. It's just where we are in the world and in society and, and in the sort of um, human cycle. Just reach out if you need help. Don't don't suffer in silence. There's lots of things available. Please reach out. So we're going to take a t- quick break now. And we are going to have 
Um, Charlie Watts. <laughs> Charlie Watts. <laughs> Listen, if you ask me about Thin Lizzy, I can, I can wax lyrical. If you ask me about Queen, if you ask me about you 2 Okay, sorry, Rolling Stones. So we're going to have Charlie Watts, the, the infamous and actually the slightly understated drummer who was part of the magical mix that turned into the, the, the rock band, the Rolling Stones. So why have you chosen Under My Thumb? Oh, it's just my favourite Rolling Stone songs. Uh, Rolling Stone song out of all of them. Um, although he, he did, does does some uh, do uh, does some uh, drum some good drum fills um, now and again. Where um, Mick is saying under my thumb, it goes do do do. I could have chose probably give me shelter. That's probably a a decent uh, decent drumming from from Mister Watts. Rest in peace. Okay, here we go, Mister Watts, under my thumb. Oh, 
There you go, the late, great Charlie Watts. You're listening to River Radio and Politically Correct. It is now 6-something, 6.40pm actually, on Wednesday the 25th of August. So you can listen again to River Radio uh, by going to river.radio on Facebook. You can find us there and you can also get us, pick us up on Apple Podcasts. So we've had some cracking shows over the last few weeks, so please... Picking, you know, hook up with some of those shows. Send us your comments to wisdom at river.radio or if they're rude, send them to studio at river.radio. So we've got my special guest in the studio today is James Bagley, who's the, is it the local democracy reporter? Explain that to me. So, yeah, pretty much a local democracy reporter, a BBC funded scheme. Um, so the design of this scheme, um, so for example, I cover Royal Borough of Windsor, Mainhead and Slough. And mm-hmm. it's, it's all, all across the country. I think there's a about 150 um, of our LDRs. But yeah, so what we do is um, we cover councils and their daily goings about from planning to political points, um, major decisions that uh, affect people's lives of rural borough, family hubs, for example. Yeah. Recently, Slough's Section 114, which I probably think that you've... uh, you talked about before? Or? Well, we tried to talk about it. And actually, do you know what? I've got a bit of a bugbear on this one because I tried to get somebody from um, Sipferon, who's the Chartered Institute of Public Finance Accountants. And I'm thinking, look, if anybody knows about Section 114 or the impacts are for residents, it will be them, especially as they've been appointed by the by the uh, government department, the MHCLG, to, to investigate a number of the local councils who are having financial problems. But they refuse to come on the show. And I'm thinking, well, why wouldn't you? let citizens, ratepayers, taxpayers understand the implications of what's going on with their local authority and how that will affect them and people who are vulnerable. It just seems, it just seems um, perplexing to me, to say the least. So, yes, a little bit of, a little bit of yeah, history. I mean, I mean, you could always try to external auditors like Grant Thornton, Deloitte or anything like that, so I'm sure they know about it. Well, perhaps, but it's quite a specialist topic, you know, local mm. authority law, local authority regulations. But, yes, we would definitely try that because we've got to help people understand, you know, um, whether the guys in charge or, or should be in charge or not. <laughs> anyway, that's getting political, but oh, we are called politically correct, aren't we? Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> no comment from me, so I'll probably get in trouble. <laughs> right, so so let me just ask, um, how can people contact you? Because, of course, you're going to talk to us about a number of stories, and you have your finger on the pulse on a number of really key key issues. And I say kid, and I'm not kidding, guys, because we've got plans, uh, um, a number of councils who are creating things like corporate plans, and you think, yawn, 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 boring. No, it's not boring, because this is going to set up the decision, every decision that's made by these councils for the next 20 years. That means it's going to affect your children and your grandchildren. And if you care or don't care about climate change, if you care about some of these things, you need to be involved. So James is going to be covering some of these key issues over the over the coming. Well, that's your job, really, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how can people get in touch with you? Yep. So uh, you can contact me via email, which is james.bagley, B-A-G-L-E-Y, at newsquest, one word, uh, .co.uk. Or you can uh, go on Twitter and uh, look me up, which is Bagley LDR. And, and I'm going to try and get James to get a TikTok account. Not that I have, but we'll, we'll create some interesting political videos for you. <laughs> yeah, well, bizarrely, uh, a few of my colleagues, not in Berkshire, but uh, across, across the uh, UK, have been using TikTok to explain uh, council or what's happened at a council meeting. And some are really <laughs> funny and creative, um, indeed. Great. We'll have to talk about this after the show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. James, um, so this is Bagley's bag of news, as I've called it before. We should have a round of applause or something. 
<laughs> but, but I don't have all the sound, yeah, just sound tap the effects. Mic. <laughs> tap the mic, that's right. James, what have you got for us today? Uh, well, so it's um, considering it's still uh, in the public eye about um, Afghanistan uh, refugees slash families escaping when the uh, government had collapsed uh, after, you know, the Taliban took over and we've seen horrific scenes of um, uh, people, you know, literally gripping onto planes literally, at the ball. and falling airport. out of wheelbase. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just, you know, it's stuff out of Saigon, isn't it? Um, yeah, it, it's stuff out of your worst nightmare, it really mm, is. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so pretty much um, when when the UK government uh, announced that they were taking 5,000 refugees this year and then 20,000 in five years' time. Um, me and a bunch of other colleagues asked around uh, councils to see how many, well, are they going to take any first of all and then how many yeah. afterwards? Uh, let, let, just pause for a second. I mean, I'd like to just give you a few figures that I found out about these refugees. I mean, the US is saying they're going to take 10,000, Australia 3,000, Tajikistan, which borders onto Afghanistan, 100,000. Germany, 10,000. The UK, 20,000, as you've rightly said. We'll talk about that more in in a moment. Canada, 20,000. That's it. Yes. This is the international community who are looking upon on these terrible scenes and just turning their their heads away. In fact, worse than that, Greece, I'm sorry if you're Greek, but this is what the Greek government has said, so I'm just going to read it out. Greek may send Afghanistans arriving on their shores back to Turkey, which it regards as a safe country for migrants. And if you know anything about turkey then maybe it is maybe it isn't yeah i think austria's in the same and um australia i believe they're taking three thousand mm, so. that's right australia three thousand yeah but uh, we, we have to remember that um last year um, i don't think you can i think maybe you can call them refugees but that um countries were still taking um people from afghanistan who wanted to leave maybe they saw the coming tides when uh, donald trump made the deal with the taliban um, but pretty much, um, I mean, the UK last year in 2020, 2020 they only took um, just under 13,000 people yep. from Afghanistan. And but and uh, uh, Germany, for example, just took un- just took un- under 180,000. So, yeah, you know, we're not really, oh, well, I say we, the UK is not really pulling their weight. But although they seem to be doing quite well with the current crisis, uh, proportionately to to America, who are ten thousand, where it's twenty thousand, and other countries who are who are keeping still. Yeah, yes, but even with Syria, um, UK only took twenty thousand, mm. whereas Germany, I can't remember, it was way more. It was in its hundreds of thousands. Okay, okay. So, so the UK a bit stingy with refugees, and in, in well, we're looking better for a change. Well, uh, debatable. That's okay, all I say on that. Enough. Fine. Now, it, it, but when we look at the numbers, I mean, these these numbers, we're talking about, well, how much is that in total? I mean, it's about 130,000, 150,000. But we're talking about half a million people from Afghanistan, according to the United Nations Refugee Agency, who have been internally displaced since January, uh, on top of three million people who maybe wanted to flee the country. I mean, these numbers are tiny compared to the demand or the people who want to get the heck out of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I just wonder where the ever millions um, are going to go. Oh, yeah. sorry, uh, hundreds of thousands. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, absolutely. But we'll come back to that in a moment. So t- tell us more about the UK and our local authorities, in yep. local, local authorities. Yep, so I'll start off with um, Slough and Windsor and uh, Maiden Exos, the ones that I cover. So I um, Slough, uh, last week... Um, 
uh, confirmed to me that they have having no direct conversations with government about taking any refugees in, which I find quite surprising, um, considering well, that Slough has a large um, Black Asian minority and ethnic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's doubly surprising, so. isn't it? Because I understand that Slough uh, are a little bit um, stuffed when it comes to money, but this is being funded by the government, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Yeah. And they've got a five million pound budget to help. How many did you say were going to be taken over over four years? Oh, it's twenty thousand. Twenty thousand. But this year it's five, so that yeah. so that figure could increase in terms of the the budget. But we have, to right. see, we have to see. We have to see about that. Of course. Yeah. So, so there is money available, and there are schemes available, but Slough's not volunteering anybody at the moment. No. So who's on the on the good list? I mean, just asterisks they could do later on. Could do better. Apologies. Yeah, they could do later. Yeah. Uh, there are local authorities out there who are doing just as badly. But you can you can slam them just now. But uh, okay. yeah, the Royal Borough um, are taking two um, Afghan families, so yeah. not yeah. refugee, uh, not singular refugees, so families, so okay. probably about four each, maybe. Um, but that's immediately, and they've also said that they're going to uh, they're going to look at. Uh, that number could increase later on, yeah. Uh, whether that be soon or next year, okay. again we'll have to see. And um, now, now when I do the maths, there are about three hundred thirty-three local authorities in the UK, and five thousand over three hundred thirty-three. That's about fifteen people per local authority. So well done to Andrew Johnson. Well done to John Duncan Shark. You've been quick off the mark there in announcing this. Yeah. But even they could do a bit better, I think. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, again, it's uh, to, if I'm being fair to them, it's still early doors. So that again, that number could change. But I'll, you know, to give credit, they were quite swift in their response to it. So yes. I, fi- I do believe that. Um, that's just my opinion. So I could be wrong. They were the first local authority in Berkshire to. Welcome. I think uh, what they're one of the first in the country, yeah. so applaud. To, I mean, absolutely. Uh, full I don't know about in the country, them. but in Berkshire. Well, I, I said it, so I'll get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got Slough, who are uh, uh, at the moment. Mm-hmm. RBWM, who are quick off the mark. Who else is helping out? So the only other one, from what I've seen, um, is Bracknell, who again are taking two. Um, I'm not too sure if they're... Two families. Yes, two families, sorry. Um, who are... I'm not too sure if they're going to take any more, but um, um, hopefully they will. Okay. Uh, Wokium have pledged that they will, haven't given a number, unfortunately. And Reading have... Um, now, I don't cover Reading at all, but my colleague does, and they uh, haven't really given a comment. So yeah. well, <laughs> we'll have to wait Buc- and see about that. What about the new Buckinghamshire Council or South Oxfordshire? Any any word from them? Uh, unfortunately, no, I haven't really seen anything from them. Um, they probably have, but um, I, I don't know. I don't really cover I, those areas. I think it would be screamed across the BBC if they had. You know? yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> so what do you think they should do? Should we be taking more? Should we be each local authority be taking 15 people or three or four families? Uh, well, it depends on the size of the local authority, of course. Um, if you're a big one like Buckinghamshire, I'm sure you've got a lot of room. Mm. Um, whereas Slough, it's quite dense, isn't it? So maybe not too much. But I, I do think, again, an opinion, that um, every uh, local authority should at least take one. Yeah, um, one family. One family. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it is a humanitarian crisis mm-hmm. and the government is funding this. That doesn't mean we shouldn't do it because they're, they're not funding it, but they are funding it. So that that's really good. But what sort of help is available for local authorities? And more importantly, what sort of help is available for refugees who come to this country? Well, I can only speak from the rural borough perspective. Um, there's uh, they, They're helping a charity. Um, uh, forgive me, I've forgotten the name now. It's a Slough charity, a refugee charity. Okay. Um, 
who are helping um, coordinating do- donations towards them. So things like clothes, um, as well as cash, um, other essentials. Um, and just, uh, well, just yesterday, um, the council said they've been overwhelmed by so many um, heartwarming and generous uh, donations that have just come in. I think, uh, so over 300 donations have come in. Is this financial uh, or is it actually... Uh, actual, like, clothes, I mean. Clothing, so, yeah. yeah. Like uh, clothing ha- and stuff. So have, have RBWM said anything about what sort of help they would help facilitate? So, you know, taking clothing, extra donations, how would that work? Have they said anything? Uh, no, just, just helping coordinate with a with a charity who would sort of liaise and do, do all the work. Okay. So, so we've said they're going to get housing. I understand that they'll also get some COVID vaccinations. First thing to do is get double jab, double the thought in in coming into the UK. Um, what other sort of things might be available to bring them up on stream and become valuable members of the of the UK community? Well, I'm not I'm not too sure. Um, I've, I've heard that um, so uh, basic skills such as learning English um, would would be one of them. I would imagine. Yeah, um, as well as trauma support, no doubt. Mm. To to you know, I guess it's going to take a while to yeah. To make peace, come to terms with the the, the things that they've seen, mm-hmm. and yeah, and also, you know, UK society is or community is completely different <laughs> to, uh, than Afghanistan. I mean, even pre um, uh, pre this Taliban takeover, it's it's quite you know, it's very very different. So you know, yep. to be, you probably feel a little bit ostracized or something. Coming, well, I think it's coming, worse than that, isn't mm-hmm. it? I mean, we've seen them with stories of them going door to door to find out um, people who've helped. Uh, any of the the Western Western governments and summarily killing them, which is which is pretty extreme. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty awful. Wow, what else have you got for us? Okay, so um, so a little little story from me, um, something away from Afghanistan, back to Maidenhead, eh? Um, so <laughs> really, you can't be serious. Guess <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious now. Um, okay, good. Yeah. So yeah, pretty pretty much. Um, the, there was a maidenhead planning panel uh, last last Wednesday, um, determining. Uh, actually, uh, just to point out, it was the first uh, meeting of the maidenhead panel um, okay. because um, I'm sure you were wisdom that it was one panel, one royal borough wide panel, but that recently split into one for maidenhead and one for Windsor. It sort of makes more sense. Counters with a bit more local understanding and knowledge and feel yeah, for yeah. what's going on in their community. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've they, the council was under pressure um, from both politically and from uh, residents. Um, there was a petition. I don't, I don't think it got a lot of sign, um, signatures, but certainly enough to to turn heads um, um, to to split it. But anyways, um, yeah. So pretty much. Um, it was a bit of a disaster, a bit of a disaster. <laughs> so, um, considering it was the first meeting at the Maidenhead Town Hall, so how was it a disaster? I mean, they made decisions, so, right? Oh yeah, uh, well yeah, but um, I'll I'll get to that in a moment. So, um, <laughs> so I went to the so I, I was there physically in person, not uh, not watching on the on YouTube or anything. So, but it started half an hour late. So me and a I mean, the room was packed, by the way. Mm. There were so many objectors. Um, so yeah. we were all waiting outside, meaning had town hall for half an hour. Yeah. And then, um, you know, got a bit got a bit rowdy. <laughs> People were <laughs> saying, really? God, this, you should be embarrassed and everything. Yes, but, we are. So there was a few, speak, a few speakers who wanted to speak on the Ray Mill Road East application. Now, what that was, it was an application made by Callahome. Well, sorry, uh, 
put forward by an applicant called T. T. Bingham, who I understand submitted on behalf of Color Homes, who are developers, um, just to be clear on that. So um, so that plan was for building 80 homes on uh, open space land there. So that's a mix of detached, semi-detached flats as well. And there was a few speakers who didn't want to, you know, kind of want to, speak on that and uh it was withdrawn at the very last minute um which a woman next to me said that she came home early from a holiday just to speak on it so that's quite sad for us so yeah (laughs) uh, unfortunately but um even even before that was given given um two councillors were not not there so they had to do some last minute Rejigging. Uh, yeah, yeah, rejigging. Yeah. So uh, Councillor Johnson had to be called, who's the council leader, and uh, Donna Stimson, who's the lead member for Climate Change, Sustainability, Parks and Countryside for the Royal Borough. Well done. Yeah, hopefully I memorised that correctly. Um, uh, and it was quite quite weird because um, they, even though it's a maidenhead planning panel, they called to... Uh, councillors from, from Windsor and Ascot. Okay, so, okay. That's against the constitution. Well, uh, for for that anyway. So, so when did it start getting interesting? So, well, that that was the interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, to see them being, Uh, yeah, to seeing, um, uh, so pretty much Jeff, uh, uh, Councillor Hill, uh, independent, and John John Baldwin, uh, called for the council leader and the, uh, Donna Stimson and Jerry Clark, who's the lead member for, for uh, transport. Um, he is actually a panel member, but uh, very, very late. Yeah. Um, Even later than half an hour late. Yeah. Wow. So like, yeah, uh, probably like 40 minutes or something. But okay. anyways, uh, so yeah, they're probably, so yeah, they're pretty much called for for them to leave because they thought, um, uh, you know, you haven't read the papers. It's a 112 document, mm-hmm. page document. So yeah. they had to, uh, you know, you, you've got to read that stuff and you have to uh call these people by midday but it was way later than that so um but yeah pretty much um uh, they they said no (laughs) we're gonna we're gonna carry on and um uh uh lost my train of thought now um so uh, so the monitoring officer said that they're the they're allowed to continue and um uh, it's kind of. I think that's pretty much that happened. I think I gave all the all, all okay. the essentials. But no, no doubt, some colourful language was used. Oh yeah, I mean there was some 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 laughs. Um, uh, even though Jerry Clark was uh, sorry, Councillor Clark was was late. Um, um, he was expected to be. He said he was expected to be there. Only only later to say, um, I believe my presence my presence wasn't needed. So a bit of a contradictory yeah. statement. Okay, well. We've come to the end of a show, hard to imagine. So, James, thank you for joining us. This was Politically Correct on River Radio. And remember, you can listen again on river.radio or pick up our podcast at our podcast on Apple. So join us again next week. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio.